journeying the last few weeks as we've headed towards Easter through the Gospel of Mark. And so it would seem fitting that we would continue in Mark on this Easter day. So I would invite you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, if you have them. And would you stand for the reading of the Gospel this morning? When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. May the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Joseph of Arimathea, somebody that nobody would have expected. He was part of the council that ordered Jesus' death. He asked for Jesus' body so that he might bury it. He, uh, he buried the body and placed it in a tomb just before Sabbath began on Friday evening. And so it was Sunday. It was the first day of the week, these three women came to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body because they had not had a chance before Sabbath had begun on Friday. It, to me, it's amazing that they went at all. How did they think they were going to get in? In fact, e even Mark records their words. Who's going to move the stone for us? Not only is there a stone, that there are guards. What, what did they think they were going to do? And yet, in their grief, and maybe because of their grief, they went anyway. When they arrived, they found a startling thing. The stone had already been rolled away. The body was gone. The, the young man who was there in the tomb, and the Bible says, um, somewhat of an understatement, I think, they were alarmed. No kidding. Of course they're alarmed. They're, they're terrified. And the young man says, he's been raised. He is not here. Uh, tell Peter and the disciples to go ahead and meet him in Galilee like he told you. He will see you there. It's incredible news. Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. And what do you suppose these women did? Did they, did they dance on the spot? I mean, did they run in the street? Did they go and tell others? No. At least not yet. Verse 8 gives us their response. Terror and amazement seized him. And they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. I'll confess to you that this is not the normal Easter passage. Terror and amazement seized them, and they said nothing. They were afraid. I was driving this morning early to, uh, I shouldn't admit this to you, but I was driving this morning to the um, sunrise service. Thank you for, my wife knew what I was saying. And uh, sometimes I play around with Siri. You ever done that before? Have you got Siri on your phone and you ask it goofy questions? Well, I did. Do you do that, Kelly Joe? Yeah. So let me tell you what, I, I was just driving along and thinking about the sunrise service, and, and it was early, and I, you know, was up at 3.30, I didn't sleep, and so, so I do goofy things. And so I, I pressed the button, 
He is risen. I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> he is risen. I'm not sure I understand. And I thought, that's these women. That's who we're talking about this morning. This is not part of the Easter story that gets a lot of press. Terror and amazement. Why terror? Why amazement? Why do they keep the news to themselves? I think those are good questions for us to think about this morning. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we will see a little bit of ourselves in these women on this Easter morning. For the possibility of life bursting forth and breaking outside of our expectations against what we believe to be possible is always frightening because because we live in a Good Friday world. This has not been a particularly easy week. The bombings in Brussels have reminded us that evil is present in the world. We live in a world of sin and hurt and pain where the Bible tells us that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. It is not the kindest world. It is a Good Friday kind of world many days. But that wasn't just last week. The world has been this way for a long time. It's not just in Brussels, but it happened in Baghdad and, and Beirut and Damascus and Gaza and Yemen and Charleston and San Bernardino and Istanbul and Paris, and it happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem in too many places to count. Violence has been used because of greed or intolerance or fanaticism justified by the belief that one person is more important than another. Now, violence we're used to. Bad news we're accustomed to. Cancer and poverty and disappointment and conflict and hatred and losses of all kinds, we, we know what that is. For let's face it, Good Friday doesn't just happen once a year on the calendar. We live in a Good Friday world and we read about it in the newspaper every day. And these women, they go to the burial place on Sunday morning and they find an empty tomb and they find a message that says, no, Jesus is actually in Galilee and it's beyond their belief because they saw him at the cross. Many of Jesus' followers had abandoned him at the cross, not these three. They were there. They stayed. They watched his cold body come off the cross. They watched Joseph of Arimathea take and, and put him into the tomb and roll the stone in front of the entrance. Death was the reality for these ladies. And they found, that's why what they found on Sunday morning was so terrifying to them. It challenged everything they knew. It went against their experience. Jesus' death, they could deal with that. I mean, it's awful, but death was a known quantity. They, they could work their way through it. But resurrection? Resurrection, that's a whole new ballgame. Resurrection, that changes everything. And so they went and fled from the tomb in amazement and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid what's even more surprising about this ver verse that is never used on easter or hardly is that this is the end of the gospel of mark this is where mark ends his gospel the earliest copies of mark that we have end at at verse eight now the early church found this a little abrupt and unsatisfying and it's no wonder that Christians in the second century um, added a few verses to the end of Mark. They, they wanted to tell the rest of the story. They wanted to, as Paul Harvey would say, you know, the rest of the story, finish the deal, and explain what happened next. If, if your Bible has different notations in it, like mine does here, it notes that this is the 
shorter ending of Mark, and there's the longer uh, ending of Mark. But Mark himself stopped writing at verse 8. Scholars tell us that Mark's gospel was most likely read in its entirety to groups of Christians who gathered called the church. They would gather together and they would read this gospel, and, and one, because it's the first gospel that was written, two, it's the shortest, and people seem to like shorter sermons, so it fit really well. Um, but, but tradition also tells us that scholars um, say that, that what was done then is when they got to verse 8, those that were gathered, those believers that were gathered, even some eyewitnesses who were gathered, would then begin to tell the rest of the story. And they would begin to share as the church the story of, of Jesus, the risen Jesus, and their encounter with him. And they would tell those stories and share those stories. And you know, as I thought about that, it's still that way today. It is still up to us, through our words and through our life, to tell the rest of the story. For us to decide once again, what will we do with this risen Jesus? What will we do with this empty tomb? Now, you may have come here this morning for all kinds of reasons. You might have come because it's good to come to church on Easter. You might have come for music. You might have woke up and said, they've got free coffee and donuts at that place. But I wonder if maybe we all have come this morning for the same reason the women went to the tomb. To pay our respects to Jesus, to do the proper Thing, to do what is right and what is expected. We know exactly what to expect when we come to worship on Easter Sunday. We know exactly what to expect of Jesus. Or we think we do. Can I just tell you what my hope is? My hope for us this Easter morning is that we could discover once again fresh this story that we've known for most of our life. And that we would stand in the empty tomb and we would not just see it as words or a day on the calendar, but we would stand in the empty tomb and have to make a decision, each one of us today, what will we do with the risen Jesus? What will we do with him? He says, go meet me in Galilee. I'll see you there. What will we do with him? It's so easy to just tell the story we have always told or to say, I, well, I made that decision when I was four or when I was 20. No, what will we do with him today? How will the story continue to be written? Now, the women, they didn't stay amazed and terrified. They went and told others. The, the fact that we are here this morning is a testimony that, that they passed on the good news. The unfinished story was lived out in their, in their lives and in their faith. And the same is true for us. Christ died and gave a promise of new life. But then he allows you and I the choice to write the rest of the story. What will we do with this Jesus? What will we do with this news? Easter is about the victory of life over death. And that's exactly what we need because we have signs and symbols of death all around us. We, we live in a Good Friday world where the news is blasted at us every day and we desperately need an Easter to know and experience the love and the power of the God who resurrects, but not, not just the ultimate resurrection from death, but the God who brings peace and hope and light right in the middle of the circumstances of our life, right in the middle of the circumstances of our family, right in the middle of death's power all around us. What will you do with this Jesus? How will you 
finish the story. These folks on the front row have been through a journey these last weeks. Brian Geiger died Thursday night. I first met Brian 12 years ago when um, he was helping his dad Steve build on one of our additions to the church and um, hadn't seen him since then until I learned that five or six weeks ago he was in the hospital in Spokane with a rare lung disease. And I began to visit him. I knew that Brian had lived a hard life of addictions for a long time. And I was thrilled to learn that he had been sober for about seven months. We began to spend time together reading uh, the Bible together. And um, we would read the scripture together. And, and, and he was most interested in the passages that had something to do with do not fear. Or fear not. We talked about what it means to be someone who chooses to live in fear or to choose to live in faith. One time he said, you know, Chad, I don't understand this. I've, uh, I've gotten clean. I'm not in trouble with the law. Thank you. That's not what he said, but his stereo would often interrupt our conversations, right? Um, he said, I don't know what's going on here. I've gotten right with God. I'm praying every day. I'm reading my devotions every day. I, I'm not in trouble with the law. I'm, I'm clean and sober. I don't understand. While well, I would get a disease now. And I said, Brian, God, God doesn't promise that things won't go wrong. For we live in a broken world. But what he will do is he promised he will go with you. He will walk through the deepest valleys with you. He will not leave you alone. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. He's alongside of you. In fact, I said, maybe he might use this time Maybe he might use this to bring you closer to him, which he has already done. Or maybe he might use this time so that those who are watching you might know the difference that a life of faith rather than a life of fear can bring. One of the things that Brian struggled with is that he would say, can God really look past all that I've done? And then he'd say, I've done a lot. And I said to him again and again, Brian, when you confessed your sins, you've done that, right? I know God, I was with, I heard that from him in our prayers. I said, have you done that? Yes. I said, have you told God that you want to go a different direction? Yes. Have you told him that you're going to need his strength in order to do that? Yes. I said, Brian, when you did that, you became a child of the king. You became a child of the king. And Easter, I reminded him, was coming up. And Easter is about the God who takes the brokenness of some of the mess we've left behind and redeems it. And I said, 
Brian, God sees more potential in you than you've ever seen in yourself. It's just a couple hours before he passed away. I was alone with him in the room. And he said, you know, I would prefer to stay around. But I trust God. And then he looked at me and very quietly he said, do you think I'll be okay? I said, oh, Brian, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay, for you are a child of God, and it's not going to be very long before you fully understand the depth and breadth of this God, this Father who loves you. And I said, Brian, what matters most in this world is not how you began. What matters most in this world is how you finish. And you have finished well. And I tell you that story from this week because I think that it's not just Brian that struggles with these things. We, we can come face to face with the empty tomb of Jesus and, and, and be afraid that God really can't see past the things we've done or the things we've said or the choices we've made or the people we've hurt and that those things really can't be, he's really not fully going to redeem those kind of things. And so deep down somewhere, we live this life of fear that somehow we, we're not going to make it, that somehow we're not worthy, rather than understanding that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that we've been worthied and can be a people who can live in freedom if we will accept that. I think we get stuck sometimes in viewing how we view ourselves and not how God views us. I think we get stuck sometimes in viewing others as we see them and not how God sees them. We get stuck in the Friday sin and struggle and we miss the Easter freedom. Easter 2016, God leads you to an empty tomb. But today, you have to decide what you're going to do when you tell the rest of the story. He offers forgiveness and grace, but you must be one who chooses it. Will you come to that place in your life where you'll understand that I'm no longer going to hold on to me being in charge? I'm no longer going to hold on to me being in the driver's seat? I'm no longer going to think that I'm right about everything? I'm going to come to that place in my life in which I'm going to submit to the God who created me and finally find the freedom he intended for me to have. You see, what matters most is not how you started or what you've done. What matters most is how you finish. So you get to decide. How does the story go from this place? Will you take a hold of the new life that Christ offers? And, and that, that, for me, that's a daily thing. That's not that I did it at 4 or I did it at 20. That's a daily thing. Today, will I take a hold of the new life that Christ offers? And tomorrow, will I do the same? For the good news of Easter is that Christ is alive and brings joy and power that is greater than any of the fear places in which we live. Christ brings new life in the midst of this Good Friday world, even in the face of death. The Lord is risen, and Christ has set us free. And on this Easter morning, what if you could see the potential that God sees in you?
What if you could look beyond what you know is the picture of your inadequacy? And you could see how God looks at you. How would that change your life? How would it change your marriage? How would it change how you parent? You see, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that you no longer need to be stuck in the struggle of Friday. He sent his son so that you might grow into the person he's created you to be. He sent his son so that you might be free.
Father, we're so thankful today that even when we see ourselves as we are, even though you saw us as we are, you loved us so greatly that you sent your son to show us how much. And that you invite us at this empty tomb to make a decision in our lives. And that, God, you see in us the potential of what you've created and the life that you have in mind for us to be a people who who not only find the freedom in you, but to influence others and to find the joy and peace even in the midst of the valley places. God, we're so thankful for Easter. We're so thankful for your gift of grace. And God, I imagine that others would be like me today who would admit that there are there are times that I look at the, at the old photo and I look at the, at the places I mess up and I look at the places that I could have done better and, and I fail to remember that you are the God of grace who reaches down and invites me to be who you created me to be. And Father, perhaps there might be some today here who need to take that step. That regardless of what road they've been on or where they've been, it's not a matter of where they've been. It's a matter of how they finish and how they move forward from here and need to say on this Easter 2016 what they're going to do with this empty tomb and to turn over that driver's seat of life and to choose this day and then to choose tomorrow and then to choose another to follow after you. God, you do make beautiful things out of dust. You make beautiful things out of the muddy places of our life. So God, on this Easter, may today be one of those moments that we make a road sign in our life, we make a mile marker and say, we encountered you in this place. And from this day forward, every one of us make a choice that says, I'll follow where you lead. God, may we write our stories to align with the story you'd have for our life. May we live up to the potential that you've created us to live into. May we influence others for the kingdom. May we be a people of freedom, not of fear. And may we look different as we continue to turn our lives over to you. What a joy to be here on Easter. What a joy to encounter you. What a joy to face that choice once again and to choose what we will do with you today. Help us to follow and live out that faith. Help the kingdom to break in to the kingdom of this world. Until every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is in his name we pray. Amen. He is risen. Lord bless you as you go. Happy Easter.